0: Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Welcome back. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction so without further ado we're going to allow mr l n hunter to introduce himself so uh, mr hunter uh can you tell us who you are and what you do for our listeners and viewers
1: hi um as as he's already said i'm ellen hunter um i'm an author mainly of short stories um but i've got one novel uh which i'm quite proud of the feather and the lamp uh, a comic fantasy which i like to think is somewhat in the vein of of um terry pratchett um During daylight hours, I'm a software engineer, but uh, it's much more fun writing in the evenings and weekends. Um, Apart from that, I'm a fairly boring person.
0: Wait, software engineer, are you designing AI to take over and create Skynet? Uh,
1: Using it, but not designing it. Uh, Trying to make it something that um, people can can work with rather than work against. Um, There's been quite a lot of success in using AI with humans. Um, particularly in, in things like medical scanning. Um, I think that's that's something to look at rather than, um, as people see it, competition for, for human talent. Okay. So you're not
0: creating Skynet
1: yet. Would you tell us if you no, were? Not, yet. not not deliberately. Who knows what might happen by that? <laughs> <I can't. laughs> okay, that's fair. All
0: right. And because this is the Blasters and Blaze podcast, uh, first, I have to tell you how I found them, uh, dear listener, dear viewer, is uh, we got the introduction from ye old hillbilly of uh, Three Ravens Publishing. And uh, when the Viking with the beard says, do this, you, you just kind of do it because he gives you mead. And who who says no to good mead? So um, I could be bribed, people. That's what I'm telling you. Good mead and I'll be bribed. Um, <laughs> and with that out of the way, the religion question, sir, are, are you ready? Do you need a deep breath, cup of coffee, mug yep, of tea? Okay. Uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly?
1: Um, well, I, th- I think the first thing I've got to say is that although I'm not a fan of the Big Bang, big Bang Theory, it did have one line that really resonated. There is one episode, I can't remember what what, the, what argument's going on, but Penny stage whispers to someone, you know the big secret, Star Wars and Star Trek, they're the same thing. I really like that. Um, I came across Star Wars first. So I think I'm probably more of a Star Wars fan than Star Trek, but then the prequels came and that maybe changed the balance. Um, Firefly I was a very late comer to. I actually watched a few episodes maybe a couple of months ago. That was my first contact with it. It's kind of fun, um, but as as some people have said, it's awfully white for um, a a universe where the universal language is Chinese. but as Penny said, they're all kind of the same thing. There, I've i managed to offend all three populations.
0: Okay, I mean, if you're gonna go big, you know, if you're gonna go out, go big. I guess.
1: Um,
0: okay, I could. Yeah, I, I think they did the the Chinese um, language for the cursing just so they can get around. You know. Yes that that was
1: that was inventive. I like that.
0: Uh, and instead of going the whole Battlestar. <clears throat> excuse me, the Battlestar Galactica of, uh, was it fracking? and um, Yes,
1: which, which, which sounds all, kind of strange given that fracking is a thing.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, F-word isn't the only cuss word out there, so if you're going to make up cuss words, you need more than just one. Yes. I mean, there are plenty of others, and they only made the one. It's like it was low effort on the uh, fake cussery, I guess.
1: I'm quite a fan of um, the Judge Dredd comics. and I, I, I like the nonsense they got in there. It's the grok for God, or grudge rather, by grud, and um, other other random pseudo swear words. It's all, all quite silly.
0: Yeah, I think uh, there's an interesting discussion about adding swear words to fiction that they did over at the uh, Bl- uh, Writer's Dojo. Now that's, dear listener, more viewed to uh, geared towards actual authors, but it's still worth listening to that episode, and they talk about how... Uh, you know, sometimes you, uh, you can go a little overboard, I think with the made up stuff. Um, but if you're going to make up cuss words, you got to keep in mind the society that they're coming from, because what's a curse to one person might not be to another, um, society. So it's, it's definitely an interesting thing. And I think, uh, the writers at BSG for all, I love that series could have done better on that one. So, what's your take? Do you add uh, do you add cuss words to your fiction, or do you just uh, make words up, or skip it all together?
1: I've I've done both. Um, a lot a lot of my writing is is comic, and there I tend to um, not not use any any explicit swearing, but um, make up some ridiculous insults like malodorous son of a camel." Um, other times, um, I'm going for shock value, and then I'll I'll drop in a, a few bombs. Um, but yeah, it depends on the story and the audience.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and because we uh, are polytheistic for the religion questions, Game of Thrones, Wheel of Times, or Lord of the Rings?
1: That's a tough one. Um, I used to like epic fantasy. I, I, I would gobble up a Thomas Covenant or something um, over a week, but I've kind of gone off that. So I would have to say none of the above. Um, I thought the Lord of the Rings films were over long and The Hobbit was way too much. Um, I quite like The Hobbit book. Uh, quite a light, easy read. But I don't know how they managed to get three films out of that. Um, I've I've read some of um, Game of Thrones, but kind of got fed up after what, the third volume and never actually tuned into the TV program. Um, likewise, the other I've read some Robert Jordan, but I couldn't build up the enthusiasm to to tune into it. I don't have the attention span anymore. Okay. I I think it was probably some round about the the time Terry Pratchett appeared that I I lost my, my liking for epic fantasy and just latched onto his style of moderately light, but very comic fantasy.
0: Okay. Do you like the comedy of the absurd, or do you like it to be more highbrow? Like, what's your style of preference?
1: I'm definitely lowbrow. Lowbrow all the way. Um, it's definitely the comedy. I also quite like um, his subtle or not-so-subtle analogies to the real world. Um, I, I'd like to have enough skill to do, do that myself, but um, at the moment, I'm, I'm focusing on the, on the comedy.
0: Okay. Um, so what was your first experience then with speculative fiction like how did you discover your love of the genre because i mean you didn't just start and say i've never read anything but i'm going to write a novel so so what was your journey to get to where you are today
1: it it was a long and very slow journey um i i never really saw myself as a writer when i was growing up Um, in the the time and place i I, I was at school um, we pretty much had to make a decision between um, arts and sciences at round about age 15. And then once you're on one of those paths, that was it. Um, I was good at science sorts of things. I enjoyed them. So that's where I went for a lot of years and had a good time. Um, But I never really thought about writing anything uh, other than software for a very long time. Um, For various reasons, I decided to do a a distance learning psychology degree when I was at work. It was something to do to keep my brain taking over. Um, I think it might have been around about the same sort of time I was starting to work on artificial neural networks. So I figured it'd be interesting to find out what real ones. Uh, One module in that was uh, phenomenology, which the way it was described in the textbooks was almost like writing a vignette. Um, And I thought, this is weird. Uh, What's this doing in a scientific course? Um, That that kind of lit the fuse. As one module in this course, we we had a free choice of pretty much anything. And just for fun, I did a creative writing module, and that was a blast. Um, The first few short stories that I had published came directly out of that course. Um, And then I started churning out short stories, um, maybe a quarter of which had been published so far. Um, and really enjoyed that. Now, my background in reading had been science fiction, starting with people like Asimov and Nancy Kress. Silverberg and the like. Um, Then, through some of the fantasy works we talked about already, um, Michael Moorcock. I remember reading an awful lot of Michael Moorcock. Um, And then, I guess, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams landed, um, not necessarily in that order. Uh, And I really liked both of their works. Um, And I think that has almost certainly affected how I write as well. Um, so yes, it was a long journey, um, starting off in the wrong direction, and then kind of accidentally coming across this this idea that I could write, and then I tried it and found it lots of fun.
0: That is a good way to do it. So, do you have a preference if you had to pick between sci-fi and fantasy? Do you or do you pretty equal, love them both pretty equally?
1: Um, I think pretty equally, and I think I. I'd be inclined to blur the boundary between them. Um, there are a lot of science-y sorts of ideas in in Terry Pratchett's work, where he he, turn, he he twists science around and kind of makes it fit into that world. And I think I've done some of that in in The Feather and the Lamp. Um, I hope I'm not slavishly copying Pratchett ideas, but um, I, I also think things like um Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is really a fantasy that happens in space. I mean to some in in some sense. Star Wars is a space fantasy. Um, so in the sorts of sci-fi and fantasy that I read, there there is, or that I read really and like, there is a, a blurring between the boundaries. Um, I don't maybe read an awful lot of hard science fiction. And I, as I've said before, I, I'm not really a fan of epic fantasy. So I, I, I cheat and sit in the middle and smoosh everything together.
0: Okay. Uh, well, I mean, the concept that they are entirely distinct, I think, is a relatively modern thing. We, in the past, it was just speculative fiction was the bookshelf, and then, you know, there became more books, so you needed to organize them a little bit more granularly, and then sort of add in electronic sales, and it's off to the races. Yeah. I will be, I will be curious to see if there's ever any data to say how that affected reading habits. Are people reading more narrowly now, or, or you know, like us growing up where? You, you read whatever the library had, you couldn't be that picky. So you just read all of it. Um,
1: no, I, th- I think uh, in terms of, of going to the library or going to physical bookshops, um, a book sits on one shelf. If it's been labeled as fantasy, that's the fantasy shelf. Um, so you don't see the sci-fi stuff because it's not on the shelf you're, you're, you're looking at. I think now with categories rather than uh, or with tags, rather than categories, the, there's more of a mix. Um, so I, I think maybe it's the opposite that, there's more mixing now than there might have been pre-internet.
0: This is, I, I see what you're saying, but, but before there was the sci-fi and the fantasy shelf, there was just the speculative fiction where it was all grouped together to start with back in the pulp era. They didn't necessarily separate it all out. Um, and then as that evolved, I just wonder if that narrows people's reading. Uh, but then again, when I went to the library, it was just alphabetical order. Um, you know YA fiction adult fiction you know whatever they didn't separate it out by like genre so for for when i would go to the library cuz that's where i read most of my books growing up is whatever was there that i hadn't read yet uh and yes. so after a while you just go to the just in section and and see if what appeals to you
1: but well, i guess then as well there were fewer books so you, you um there, there there was less to to pick between um i, I it also feels like in years gone by science fiction was more sciency and fantasy was more fantasy um maybe it's a relatively modern thing that that they mingle a bit i don't know i'm i'm just waffling
0: this this could be an interesting discussion if we have a hist, uh, historian of fiction i might have to track that down and and see what what's out there for guests cuz it is interesting to see where you know cuz when when you write fiction in the modern world, you're standing on the the shoulders of all the giants that came before you. So it is kind of an interesting dive to look in to see, like the trajectory of all of that. Um,
1: yes, I wonder if there's anything in the data that places like Amazon collect on book sales. If that it also would be should... interesting.
0: So have you met any of the the writers of some of the more classic styles of books? Like have you met Terry Pratchett or any of those type of authors? No, I'm,
1: I'm I'm afraid I've I've met no one. I, like I said, it was a late starter and haven't really um, managed to to go to many places to meet anyone at all. Um, I, th- I think that the, the the point at which I decided I was going to focus on writing was pretty much when the pandemic hit. Um, all the working from home and, um, uh, 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 and not being able to go out stuff meant I had plenty of time for writing. And that was probably a bad time to think about um, conventions and the like.
0: I was actually more thinking even before you were a writer uh if you had just in the course of your life met any of the more iconic
1: authors. Uh no, sadly not. Um I left it way too late for Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett who I think are on top of my list. Um, yeah, I got I, the I, uh, Go ahead. As I as a reader I was more interested in in the work than the people. Um, yeah. I, it, it's only I guess recently I've, I've I've thought that much about who authors really are.
0: Yeah. I uh, I had the privilege of meeting uh Pat Conroy he came to speak to my college um English class um and then same with uh Robert Jordan who was a really nice guy um met him I guess when I was in college in 03 so it's definitely interesting um I don't think I've met anyone else although you know, I've talked to them through the podcast I don't know if that counts with uh with some of the bigger names it's
1: still more than I've done actually I have well, a funny little story. Um, when when um my daughter was reading the Alex Rider books, um, the 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 author, whose name I've gone blank on at the moment, um came to visit the school except only the year above her, so she wasn't allowed to go and talk to her favorite author at the time.
0: Oh, that's just rude. Mm. I, I might have had some words to say too, if I was her. <laughs> Did she come out all right, or was she emotionally scarred forever?
1: I think she survived, and she read everything else he he'd ever written.
0: Perfect. It wasn't Perfect. too bad. Um, so, was there any one thing that inspired you to start writing, other than just you know I'm stuck at home with the pandemic and I want to do things?
1: Um, it, it was that creative writing course that I mentioned, which which I'd finished shortly before the pandemic hit. Um, and it, okay, this this might sound weird, but one of the things it came from was just a permission to write. I'd never really thought about doing writing myself, but one of the messages in the course was just do it. There's nothing stopping you. And then I tried it and it was fun. And that trivial trigger was enough to start things.
0: Wow, it helps if you unmute. (laughs) Uh, I I had some really gold. I'm sure it was the most sophisticated thing anyone's ever, or in this case, never heard. But uh, oops. Uh, So I can see how that works. Like I actually started writing myself through a uh, writing as therapy class at the VA, the Veterans Hospital. Uh, And so I think sometimes uh, you get in your own way when you're starting and sometimes just having someone be like, "Uh, yeah, you could do this Mm. is, is all you really need. Uh, for me i always thought like i had this sort of grandiose idea of what a, an author was so i remember uh i had written a short story uh and they were like this is good you should consider publishing this and, I, and I, I remember telling and it was a professor from the college of william and mary um that was visiting or volunteering her time to do this class and it wasn't even an official class it's just something they did she's like jr you've been to two war zones what more life do you want <laughs> and i'm like oh okay you know but like growing up reading military writers it was like tom was it tim or tom o'brien the guy that wrote the things they carried and so you know you compare your experiences to theirs right and it's like well how do you stack up to that Mm. so anyway
1: yes it's just like someone saying you can do it just just go for it and see what happens
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's, it sometimes can be liberating. So for those of you listening who are thinking about writing, because most of our, our listeners are readers instead, but if you want to think about it, consider this your permission to do it. <laughs> the world Absolutely. needs more good books in it.
1: And don't hide it away. Put it in front of people.
0: Absolutely. Um, all right, so let's talk about your book, The Feather and Lamp. First off, I'm going to throw the um, cover up. So what is the story of this? Because this has somewhat of a more classic vibe to the cover than you see in modern fantasy was that intentional
1: um i hadn't really thought about it all that much in in, in those terms um it's just that the one of the, the features of the book was was a dragon who um flies through quantum dimensions um he produces the, his his wings transform into this this um ruby shell around him and then he pops out of existence and, um and appears somewhere else. Um, and that, that was one of the main features of the book, and it just had to be on the cover. Um, and there's a feather in it and a lamp which which uh, gives you the, the graphics at the bottom. Uh, beyond that, I, I gave the ideas to to um, an artist friend, and he produced a few designs, and I like this one best. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of what fantasy books really look like. Okay. And the, and the, the book is perhaps more more oriented towards comedy than fantasy uh, it's it's definitely very light fantasy so i guess that's my excuse as well
0: well I, I really do like it it's it's nice um here let me show dear listener if you're watching this at home so you can see this dragon sort of encased in a, it looks like it could be a amber or a jewel or a ruby of some sort uh, which also you know kind of appears as the sun the uh the text on the top for his typeface is very uh, typewriter ask which i really really like and then the uh, watercolor painting vibe with the boat on the water and the mountains in the background really like. And then if you zoom in, because you got high def, you can you can see the layers that they did on the art, which is kind of neat. Um, it gives some dimensionality to, and if that's not a word. It should be uh, Oxford Dictionary. Get on that. Um, but it gives some some depth to the water. And it gives a sensation of motion. Um, and then you know the the actual novel text writing. Um, definitely it doesn't look that different than some of what I've seen when I um, worked in the archives, transcribing newspapers from the 1700s. Um, and of course the lamp that sets the, uh, the tone. A,
1: a lot of my um, software development experience has been working with, with a lot of talented designers. I got an appreciation for the thinking that goes behind producing something attractive. Um, if, if you look at a, a, a bit of software UI, you can tell if it's been designed by an engineer or by a designer. Um, Their the skill in making something attractive. Um, so I, I kind of let him loose on this and um, he's done a really good job. I, mean, I wouldn't have thought of of the difficulty of selecting the, the best fonts for it, but he's, he's managed to do that.
0: And that's the other thing people don't realize is some fonts are actually trademarked. Uh, and so yes. everyone's just like, oh, I'll just use this font because it looks good. Better make sure you have permission. I never would have considered that until I started publishing. I'm like, wait a minute, there are trademark fonts? I just thought they were all free. Yes. Because you know, when you're just doing your school papers, no one cares. And it's just whatever's loaded in the system, you know? Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yep.
0: All right, so do you have a preferred font since we're since we're talking fonts? Let's be really nerdy here.
1: Um. In in terms of producing manuscripts, um, I'm really boring and it's Times New Roman. Um, That's maybe not the best font for writing and reading, but it was the one that that was the standard in the creative writing course that I mentioned. So I kind of got used to it. Um, People say that reading stuff on screen, a a sans-serif font is better, but I've just got used to Times New Roman. Um, When it comes to final layout, I, I leave the choice of font to people more talented and more experienced than me.
0: Yeah, I'm a Times New Roman or bust. I, I used to do T, uh, Times New Roman 12 because that was a standard all through schooling, and I'm, my writing training came from the academic side because you know I was a history major. Um, but now that I'm getting older, it's Times New Roman 14 or bust.
1: <laughs> <I> up, <laughs> why, I up why, the why not? Why not 12 point and zoom in a bit further? Um, I do both. I, I do the 14
0: <laughs> and zoom in. Uh But part of that, of
1: course,
0: uh, I, I've gotten used to doing the single space now, although it took years. I mean, I started writing in 2015 for the novel that published in 2016. And it, so it's taken years of writing to get used to that one space mm. instead of two. And if I don't think like if I'm having a bad brain day, sometimes I still do, two without thinking about it, just because years of muscle memory. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's just like whatever the training was. But the one that gives me the most is people that use, like, Comic Sans or Arial. I'm like, no, that's impossible to read. Stop.
1: Arial <laughs> is not too bad on a, on, on a decent display. I, d- I don't fully understand everyone's objection to Comic Sans. It, it's, it's quite a fun little font. It's not that difficult to read in small bursts. I don't think I'd like an entire novel in it, but I, I don't think it deserves all the abuse that it gets.
0: I just can't stand it, but I, I'm coming <laughs> at it with the head injury that, you know, I've got to make some allowances for, so who knew <laughs> getting blown up 37 times was bad for your health?
1: Hmm, strange that.
0: Weird. That wasn't on the recruiting poster either. I don't know what they why they forgot that part.
1: <laughs> so, I've, I've only written one bit of vaguely military fiction, and in that one, the hero does get blown up an awful lot.
0: It doesn't feel good, but, you know, not dying is kind of cool, so there's that. Yeah. Um, what, now, when they get blown up in the fiction that you did write, where it was there, was it magical explosions or was it you know more modern sci-fi world?
1: Um, it was sci-fi, but it was somewhat satirical. Actually, not somewhat, very satirical. Um, first time he gets blown up, he loses a few limbs, um, but the military replaced his arms with guerrilla arms to make really tough soldiers. Um, second time he gets blown up, there isn't quite enough of his body to bring back. To do that, so they plonk his head on a chimpanzee's body um, and then it gets a bit more bizarre.
0: okay chimpanzee you say yeah uh, I mean that that's that's bizarre to start with so well
1: well the the, the advantages of, of that that I gave in the book um, is that it, the, the the soldiers can hang on to things with one arm and hold weapons in the other three limbs. This wasn't serious sci-fi in the slightest.
0: Yeah. Okay. But then, how do they aim? Do they get an extra eye?
1: I I kind of uh, hand wave past that, past um, important details.
0: <laughs> well, as long as the story's entertaining, we'll forgive a lot. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that you started writing the feather in the lamp um, when COVID lockdown happened. So, what was the inspiration for the title, and, and how did like what was the origins story of this novel?
1: Okay, so the... the It had its roots maybe a few years before that, as part of this writing course that I've mentioned al- already. Um, I wrote a... I can't, I can't remember whether it was a short story or a play script that had the basic skeleton of this in maybe two and a half thousand words. Um, and someone who, who'd critiqued it said, this is quite good, I'd like to see some more of it. Um, and... I think over the years I collected an awful lot of episodes that could kind of get shoehorned into the story, and I just threw them all on the page and then tried to make sense of them. Um, this is probably not something to admit, but I think a potential flaw of the book is that it it is a lot of episodes just strung together. Um, I've I've tried to get a narrative that makes sense and flows through everything, but I still can't help but feel that that um, it it's too loose. That might be because I'm too used to looking at what's there. Anyway, all all these memories and experiences got thrown into it to make it it book length. Um, And again, some people kind of liked it. So I I thought I'd put more effort into it and actually make it into a novel. Um, And and this is the end result. Um, I think I just saw an awful lot of nonsense that was going on in the world and decided to roll some of the ideas into this um, and, and the result is is this novel about uh, someone who gets catapulted through a ridiculous set of adventures.
0: Okay. Um, before we dive too much deeper, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man, and then we'll dive more deeply into the waters that are the feather and the lamp. Do you like your science fiction with a little bit of naughty and a good helping of comedy? Then pick up your copy of Flux Runners by William Joseph Roberts and join the crew of the Betty in their adventure into the dark unknown. Flux Runners is available through Three Ravens Publishing on Amazon in ebook,
1: paperback, hardback, and on Audible, narrated by Brian Stansberry.
0: This Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. And I want you to know that despite the rumors, that is not Hillbilly singing. I promise. Uh, and you're glad. You should you should be glad that we didn't let him sing. Um, is, isn't Three Ravens your publisher as well?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay, thought so, thought so. All
0: right. So you, you mentioned that the writing course is sort of where the outline came from. But, I mean, that's a win answer, not a how did you come up with the idea that became, like, where did the actual idea come from? Do you remember?
1: That's a very good question. Um, I have no idea where it came from. Um, I've I've heard this vague notion that story ideas are are like cosmic rays that just pass through the universe and lodge in someone's brain. Um, That's as good an explanation as I can come up with.
0: Okay. So is this a standalone novel? Do you expect there to be more in this
1: world? I'm I'm currently working on a sequel. um, And um, I have to admit that's harder work than the first book was. Um, But... I would like it to be a series if if um, I can find enough readers who are excited and interested in it've um, I've got a, a bunch of half or or less complete manuscripts kicking about my my uh, bottom drawer and um, I'm trying to decide what one to tackle after the sequel to this um, so who knows if it's going to be another imperceptibility happens sans book or something else
0: OK. Are you going to keep with the comically absurd uh, fantasy style?
1: Um, one of the candidates I've got is a middle grade horror that has comedy elements but isn't quite as comic as these books. Um, I, I, I like the comedy, um, so I think there's going to be some of that in everything I do. But whether it's quite as, as heavy-handed as this, I'm not sure.
0: OK. Um, so because we mentioned comedy and that can span the range of body to barracks humor to, you know, 12 year old boy fart jokes, like where would you rate the kind of humor you have in your novel?
1: There is at least one fart joke in this. Um, <laughs> the, the invention of, of uh, hot air flight was, uh, a, a, um, a Kalashnikov curry. Um, so that, that gives you the idea of the level of this comedy. Um, there are a lot of subtle and not-so-subtle digs at things, a lot of really bad puns. Um, as as one example, um, my Karen uh, um, keeper of the sticks is Australian because the underworld in this book is called The Down Underworld. Low, low humor.
0: I mean, I, I'm i here for it. So what there's, would the- there's not,
1: not, there's not enough of it.
0: Well, you could fix that in the sequel, 12. <laughs> Um, so what would the age range for this novel be as your target audience?
1: Um, I think it would be anything from 12 to 120. Um, the, there's nothing that ought to scare off younger readers. though They, they might miss some of the, the quantum physics jokes. Um, and as an older reader, I'm quite happy reading. I'd be quite happy reading the sort of humor that's in this book. So I, I, I think any age range. It's... It's positioned as uh, YA um, because that's kind of the age of the the, the book's hero, um, but it to me, it doesn't feel like a YA book because YA books, books seem to have romance and vampires and dragons, and, yeah, okay, this has a dragon, but there's not much of any, any of the others in it.
0: So what is it about a YA um, antagonist or protagonist, I guess, in this case, um, that, that drew you in? Like, why not write, I don't know, balding middle-aged dude as your hero or, you know, frustrated housewife? Like, why why write uh, your in, your hero, your main character as someone at that age range? Was there any specific reason?
1: I, I wanted someone fairly naive um, sort of coming out into the world. Um, it could have been... Um, an older person. Um, are, are you familiar with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I am. So uh, Arthur Dent um, is a naive, oldish dude who gets caught up in, in lots of weird things. The hero of this book could have been an Arthur Dent. Um, I'm not quite sure why I chose to make her a, a late-teens girl, but that just sort of happened.
0: Okay. So since we, we're talking about your, your main character, what can you tell us about her?
1: Um she's a daydreamer. Um she's very into books, and knows a lot of stuff. Not not really very aware of what of how the real world works. Um she's a bit of a, a drifter, um, Let's things carry her along until she finally realizes that that she ought to do something, she ought to take some control to be able to survive and to help others. Um, so she does. She does develop as, as the the story progresses from a naive daydreamer to someone who can take take care of things. Um, though she still has quite a lot of self doubt.
0: Okay, that's fair. Do you have any um, secondary characters that really stick out for you?
1: Um, there's I, I, I mentioned Karen, the the uh, Australian um, god of the underworld. Um she, and yes, she is a she um is quite important. Um there's the dragon um called Shanks, um, who's very verbose. Um he's kind of an alien presence and doesn't understand humans. Um that's mainly because most of the time he comes across them, they're either running towards him with with spears and swords or running away from him screaming. Um so he doesn't really know an awful lot about humans, but he's very curious about them. Um so he sort of comes in and um imperceptibility befriends him and um that story develops. So I think those are the main characters. Um there is someone who briefly appears as a potential love interest, but that deliberately kind of fizzles out um as a, a sort of anti-YA message where there always seems to be some sort of romance. Um and I think those are probably the major characters of the book. Oh, and of course the genie, the genie who who tried who. Uh, she's tricked into awning who, and who spends most of the book trying to kill her. Okay, so
0: uh, for your genie, did you go full, you know, evil original D and D style? Did you go more Aladdin in the Lamp from Disney? Like, like, what was the inspiration for your genie?
1: He's a cross between Robin Williams and Peter Serafinovich. Um, I, I, I couldn't not do a Robin Williams-style genie. Um, so he's he's absolutely a bit like that. Um, he's, he's selfish and devious um, and, I guess, more clumsy than evil.
0: OK. Um, does he dress in traditional genie styles, you know, nose twitching like he's dreaming? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was <laughs> a pun. Um, see, there's a reason I don't write the humor jokes, people. Uh, but no, so like, what what did you go for the aesthetic with your genie?
1: Well, he's not blue, um, but apart from that, he's probably fairly close to the the Disney Aladdin. Am I allowed to say Disney, or is that going to get you sued by the corporation?
0: No, 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 you're good, you're good. Um, the House of the Mouse is busy with their failing sales numbers anyway, so I don't think they're <laughs> listening to me. Um, that could be like an evil, like a clan for a villain in a book, the House of the Mouse.
1: <laughs> we
0: don't even have to say that it's Disney. You can just... Just people would know. That'd be funny. Anyway, see, this is the problem. Everyone's like, how do you, like, what do you do with writer's block? I'm like, what are you talking about writer's block? How do you turn the ideas off?
1: Yes, um, they they keep getting in the way. I think one reason that I I like short stories is that um, I can produce something quickly, not necessarily complete it, but at least produce a skeleton and get that idea out of my head so that I can focus on the thing I'm supposed to be doing
0: yeah i like short stories because that's what i first was introduced to to reading um i was my sisters were both girl scouts and so i was the tag along and um yes that's the official title of the siblings get stuck going on these trips um and uh and i remember when i was doing that they would be like reader's digest somebody would always bring one of the reader's digest the version of all the stories to keep all of us entertained and mm-hmm. so i read a lot of you know more classic literature, but in condensed versions. And so it just made me appreciate that that way of telling stories the, in the short story sort of format. Does, does um, Reader's
1: Digest still exist? I remember reading lots of those years ago.
0: I'm not sure. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't even know. Is, is Reader's Digest the same company that owns Publishers Clearinghouse? I don't know. I've, we're I've we're showing our age here, though. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is they Ed McMahon never showed up at my doorstep with a check.
1: <laughs> I remember they, awful, they had an awful weird stories. like I am Bobby Spleen some some random organ in someone's body would be telling a story
0: yeah I mean they were trying to be educational too yeah. um, that was a big thing for a while I mean heck even in the 90s you had Jerry Springer trying to end his trash show which was entertaining but then they tried to end with a point because everything had to be a learning moment <laughs> that time. it was just a, a moment in time so, well, since we've diverted briefly, I'm going to have to ask. So people, because whenever we have a guest with an accent, everyone wants to know where it's from. So can you, can you satisfy all of those people since they made it through halfway of the episode? Uh, where, where's your accent from?
1: I, I grew up in Northern Ireland, um, though I've been in England for, I guess, now more time than I've been in Northern Ireland. So this is, this is an, an, uh, a London accent that's been somewhat diluted by 20, 30 years in East Anglia and England.
0: There you go, people. Now you don't have to send me emails. Um, I've actually gotten a few. I like that guest. Where's their accent from? And I'm like, I don't know. Ask <laughs> them. Oh. <laughs> but, no, I'm, I'm, guess...
1: I'm, my accent's a problem. Um, I have to concentrate to speak slowly. And even then, I'm probably not completely intelligible. I keep t- keep saying I've got um, the sort of voice that works in silent movies. Me
0: too. I was that they say the... Uh... The uh, face for radio and the voice for print. Yeah, uh, I don't know. My problem is I tend to speak really fast. They called me motor mouth as a kid for a reason, so I have to like make too, myself too many
1: ideas coming through too quickly.
0: Yeah, I have to. And it got worse after the head injury because you want to get it out before you forget. Hmm. Uh, so I have to concentrate really hard on speaking slow. I don't know if you remember the old micro machine commercials uh, where the guy was the auctioneer voice and he oh, would. Lead yes. her- I used to keep up with him. I used to be able to do that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, That's not exactly a, it's not exactly a useful talent, but... <laughs> so, yeah, I have to concentrate on speaking slow. I don't think I have an accent, though. I don't know. Do you think Americans have accents, given that you're no, not definitely. from
1: the, the, the only voice that doesn't have an accent is is um, the people with the Queen's English receive pronunciation. Everything else has an accent. I'm sure there's a sort of standard American accent that is a default but america's such a large country that uh, everything deviates from that really
0: so there was speculation especially that it could have happened during covid but just in general that at a certain point our accents were all coalesce into just one standard uh and there was a joke that it was going to be that old-timey radio voice accent <laughs> that they did in the uh in the early days of radio of course nobody realizes that's not a real accent they did that because the they had to speak to the Vocal range of the actual microphones.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Um, and I, if Nick Garber was here, he's one of my co-hosts. He could actually do that voice. I just can't.
1: I'm well, I, I think since since television became widespread, most accents are kind of smooshed together a bit.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, which is a shame because I like. I think there's something cool about the ver- the variety of accents you can get. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. In them. Yeah. It'll be interesting because I know that's one of the speculations you see a lot in science fiction, at least, is what's going to happen, you know, to the accents. Will we retain regional accents? Will we develop new ones? Um,
1: Well, it's it's going to keep evolving and changing. I think that's the only thing that that we can say. I think as as long as the world is is divided up into separate tribes, there are still going to be separate languages and, and accents.
0: I think so. I think the only limitation is the vocal range of the the average human voice, Mm. Um, because obviously you can't can't beat biology uh, when it comes to that. But all right, so back to um, the feather in the lamp. I I always when I heard the accents, I I should have asked in the beginning. And I was thinking like, oh man, I was kicking myself for that because I know I was going to get the messages. But uh, okay, so you've got the main character. I don't know if you told us her name though.
1: Imperceptibility happens, um oh. no I've okay. no idea where that came from either. Um I I do, I do play with names quite a lot in this book. Um there's a kind of drawn accountant sort of guy who's called Mr Nameless. Um there are a few people in the book who make jokes about imperceptibility's name because it's so complicated to say. Um so yes I I I, I like I like I like silly names and and my ma- making fun of them.
0: So do you have a nickname that she goes by or does everyone call her? Itty. What's that?
1: Itty. I double T Y. Okay. It's much more easy.
0: Okay. Your, your narrator is going to hate you. I'm just telling you, <laughs> is, is this coming out in audiobook? I know if it, you're it, even- it already is. Okay. Did you get hate mail from him or her? Um, from her. Um,
1: No, though there were a few places in the book where I changed the wording slightly to make it easier for her. But Imperceptibility's name stuck.
0: Okay. I have uh, been known to insert random names just to see if they could get through like the publishing house and then um, make the narrator have to say it. I actually had one, my first narrator
1: call me and he's like, no,
0: no, JR, we're not doing this. Change it. I'm like, okay, I'm surprised it made it that far, but okay, I'll change it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, apparently there was some word or phrase that Stephen Fry couldn't pronounce for the, from the Harry Potter books. And Jackie Rowling made sure that she put that phrase in every single one of them that he narrated.
0: Oh, that's just mean. <laughs> Although I, I, I get it. I do that kind of stuff too, but its I never know who the narrator's going to be.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm,
0: I'm just curious to see what makes it through. Like I had a, some of the authors that I've met since I started writing are from Sri Lanka. And I know because I've had trouble pronouncing their names, I gave them a nickname because... You know, be- between being hard of hearing with the tinnitus and then everything, I was like, oh, "I'm just going to see what the narrator can do." Mm. And they came back with, um, "No, no, we'll shorten this somehow." <laughs> so, um, would you, with your narrator, did she go with um, sort of an accent similar to yours, a European accent? Did she um, make up new ones for these characters? Like, how did you pick the the cadence of the?
1: So the the-, the only fixed point. Um, Actually, I'll take a step back. Um, I generally find it difficult to picture most of my characters. Um, I I think I focus on plot and ideas more than the characters themselves. Um, So imperceptibility's description in the book came quite late in in the process. Um, But because of that, I also didn't have a particularly strong view of what anyone sounded like, apart from the one character who had to be absolutely Australian. So as long as um, the narrator could do... Um, A good, almost caricature of an Australian accent, that was fine. Um, Everything else was what she felt she could do. Um, The dragon had to have a reasonably deep voice because he's a big beast. Um, But um, apart from that, I, I, I really had no strong ideas.
0: Okay. So when you write, do you like sometimes we obviously make up words? Do you have pronunciations in mind or are you not that picky?
1: Um to be honest, I've never really thought about it. Um the the dragon has got a ridiculously long, complicated name which I thought I even I can pronounce properly. Um and I don't think I've really thought that much about how anything else really needs to be pronounced.
0: Okay, that's I, I fair. probably haven't,
1: haven't put in that many complicated words anyway.
0: That's fair. Did you um, like? Normally, we would ask you about the bad guy, but but obviously, we don't want spoilers. So, what can you tell us about the antagonist in this novel without giving anything away? Because obviously, we want the readers to go out and buy and read the book.
1: So, I, I've already mentioned the, mentioned the genie, who's who's essentially trying to kill her. I mean, that's not much of a spoiler since it's pretty obvious from early on um, it's probably also not a spoiler to say that he doesn't succeed um, he's the 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 bad guy who runs through the entire book but he doesn't actually have a huge presence in it um, there are a few other sort of bad guys who come and go um, when most of the antagonism is uh, something that's, that gets resolved. So someone who, turns out, who, who starts off being a bad guy ends up maybe not being such a bad person, um, apart from one character who's, who's um, much more interested in, in wealth and power than in people. Um, everyone, el- everyone else is kind of trying to do the best for their particular society then that just happens to rub up against water imperceptibility once.
0: Okay. So with the dragon with the ridiculously long and complicated name, is he, like, do they, is it a dragon like in Pern where they can ride it? Or is it, um, is it massive? Well, you already said it's massive. So like, what's the role in the story other than just being a dragon? Do you ride it? Um,
1: well, yeah, it, 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 his, his first appearance is as someone who's, who's going to eat her. Cause that's what, that's what humans think dragons do. Um, but she ends up befriending him. And yes, he does get used for transport. Um, uh, actually, I guess that's his main role in this book. In the sequel, he starts doing different things. But yes, he's he's a convenient and intelligent transport. So like, a lovable,
0: like a lovable horse that actually talks back and flies. Got it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's um, an interesting way to look at it.
0: Okay. So what is the, is this, um, obviously you've got dragons, but is there magic in this world aside from the genie?
1: Um, there, There's a mention of spells, but there's not really a huge amount of magic. Um, it's more like, I guess, distorted science. Uh, the dragon, the dragon's magic is traveling through the quantum domain, which is kind of inspired by quantum physics ideas, but obviously not realistic in the slightest. Um, I think in this book, uh, there there are a few, I guess, um, translations between domains which are kind of magic-ish. I'm sorry for being very vague and hand-wavy, but I don't want to give spoilers.
0: Oh, that's absolutely okay. Uh,
1: there's not, not really very much in the way of conventional spells at all, just the genies.
0: Okay, so what level of technology is um, is in this world? I, obviously, there's an age of sail ship. Uh, do they got gunpowder and guns? Is it like steampunk vibe, um, pure medieval it's, fantasy?
1: It's sort of mini- medieval with um, anachronistic bits of technology. Um, so there is there is balloon flight, um, and the company who make these these airships. Um, are starting to work on fixed wing, fixed wing aircraft. Um, there's the start of gunpowder and uh, weapons based on that. Um, but it's all fairly low level um, fairly primitive medieval sort of stuff besides that.
0: Okay. Um, so have you put a lot of thought into how that technology will change if they developed gunpowder and flight in that respect?
1: Um, well, in the sequel they end up going to the moon um, uh, which involves aspects of both of those um, so I'm kind of pushing and stretching at the ideas to see how they fit into this world um, and pushing them into into the ridiculous
0: Okay Well, that's the great thing about uh, Hand Wavy I'm in Magic is it can be <laughs> the forgiver of all things if you, if you sell it, right? Yes, as long, um, as
1: long as you can produce some sort of logic that, um, while not plausible, follows a sequence.
0: Yeah, yeah. So is this world mostly water? Or is it mostly land? Like, what is the role of the sea in this story? Because it is on the cover.
1: Yeah. It, it, um, so there, there are se- several domains that, that imperceptibility goes through. Um, she does spend some time on a ship. Um, and that just had a nice aesthetic for the cover. Um, she also spends some time in dark underground tunnels. That's kind of difficult to 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 make a nice picture out of. Um, yeah. She she comes from a, a desert city, uh, but doesn't actually spend much time there. Um, she probably spends more time in in mountains and in a, in a particular valley and a large city. Um, this the, the cover was just one aspect of that that. Look nice.
0: Now you said different dimensions. Do you mean like areas within the map of the world where the story is told, or are they going to different worlds through the course of the story?
1: Um, without giving many well, without giving any spoilers. um, most of what I'm talking about is being different parts of the world. um but there are also um, kind of different dimensions like there there is an afterworld um, and a few other strange places that she ends up being dropped into.
0: All right. So you mentioned afterworld and that gets me thinking about your underworld. What made you decide to make it Australia?
1: Uh, the God awful pun that I could get away with or that I hope I can get away with. Um, it, it just struck me that, uh, calling the place the darn underworld was, was too silly to, to pass up on. And that's Australian. F-
0: did you fit in at least one crikey?
1: Uh, I've got a few good days. Um, I might have a blimey. I think I think I've got a crikey. Uh, I can bring up the manuscript and check, but I, I, it's probably not worth, <laughs> worth trying to do that.
0: No, no, no. I'm just picturing Crocodile Dundee and uh, who's the guy? Steve Irwin, I think, was the uh, the famous outdoorsman.
1: Yes, yeah. I, I think pretty pretty much all that I know about um, Australia Australian culture is Crocodile Dundee. Um, I I. One of the things that worried me about the book was accidentally offending Australians by doing too much with stereotypes. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by the dreaming, and I had thought of including some aspect of that in the book, but realized that I couldn't do it justice. I might be causing offense, so I just cut that bit. But I, I stuck with the, the crikeys and the barbecues.
0: Okay. So, you know, the only thing I know about Australia is everything there wants to kill you. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and the things that can't kill you would if they could. Um, so there's that. And uh, sure. I remember because my I'm writing a series in um uh, with Australian characters from their military, and so I had some of their um former service members from Australia reading those sections because I wanted to get it right. And uh, you know, they said, Hey Jr. Have you heard of sensitivity readers? And I'm like, Yeah, I don't use them, but he said, Well, for Australia, you need an insensitivity reader because you need to end <laughs> this up. And so it's, it's a funny balance when you want to write true to form Australians. It's like, I could write how they speak, but then the Amazon censors in America would not like some of the words they use Mm. because they, they use different, like we use the F word a lot in America as the main curse word. They use a a vulgar term that starts with a C. Um, and so like that, that sort of raises some flags. So it's kind of funny how, where the lines are for each of the countries.
1: Yes. Um, I'm a member of a, a, a critiquing site. And I did make sure that I got a bunch of Australian members of that site to have a, a look at the Australian parts of this book. Um, and I think touch wood, I, I got away without offending people too much.
0: So is touch wood a British expression for knocking on wood?
1: I guess so. Um, I, I'm not familiar Never with wood, word. but it's certainly touching wood for luck, yeah.
0: Okay. There you go. We're all learning something together there dear listener.
1: that not, right. not, It 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 has any bearing in reality, but still. No, absolutely.
0: Um so are you going to use the same cover artist for your this, the sequel because that is I mean I'm just oh, that that art is awesome. I could see that framed on a wall.
1: Uh yep, I certainly am. Um he's he's waiting for me to work out what things I want on the cover. I think I I think this time given that there is a trip to the moon um, the, the moon could be the big centerpiece rather than the the ruby. Um, right. Maybe a spaceship in front of it rather than a a dragon. But I haven't quite got that far.
0: So, is this an actual watercolor painting, or is it just the the pastiche he gave it?
1: Uh, this is all digital work.
0: Oh, it, it definitely looks like it's a watercolor.
1: Mm. Yes. Um. Like I said earlier, he's he's talented. Um, he's done a really good job with this. Uh,
0: normally, I don't gush as much over covers because when you're colorblind, you just don't see the things the way the rest of the world does. But uh, this one works for me, so well done. Even, like I said, those those layers of texture that made it look like the water was moving.
1: Mm. Yes, I, I did did contemplate asking him to produce some sort of um, movie file or GIF which had the waves moving, but um, haven't got around to that yet.
0: Okay. Uh, that's that's a nice looking cover. I would frame that and put that on your wall if I was you. <laughs> um, but so that that's pretty cool. Was there anything about um, the feather in the lamp that we didn't talk about that you think the readers and listeners and viewers should know before they go out and buy this book?
1: Um, now I think they should all all rush out and buy it immediately and um, give me nicer reviews on on that website that, that begins with A. Um, it, it is it is a light comedy. It should be a quick read. Um, I hope people find it as, as funny as I did, uh, which maybe is a strange thing to say, but I, I I write first for me. It's the sort of book I would like to read and I hope others like to read it too. Okay.
0: Now is this, I know Three Ravens is in the process of going wide. Is this book wide or is it Amazon exclusive?
1: Um, it's, it's wide. Um, it's definitely not exclusive.
0: Okay. All right. So this is the part of the interview, dear listener, dear viewer, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part. And uh, as someone who has his debut novel, uh, those reviews are especially important because they help raise in the algorithms, uh, which helps get visibility, which helps drive traffic and all the things that computers do in the background. Um, I don't worry about computers. I just do the hand wave them but uh, it, the reviews really do help, you know? And if you can't leave a review, tell a friend, tell a dozen friends, do your part and spread the word. Um, and if you don't have a dozen friends, start a website and write a review there. I mean, I'm assuming everyone's got a dozen friends, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I Do Do online friends count? Because sometimes I feel like we don't leave our houses anymore.
1: <laughs> yes, it's, it's become very easy to do that, hasn't it?
0: It has, it has. So. With the uh, with the sequel, do you have an estimated like I think I'll be done around this time kind of schedule for it, or are you just sussing it out? Because obviously you don't want to wait seven years.
1: Definitely not. Um, um, I'm. I, I've got a vague aim of end of this year to make it pretty much the anniversary of this first book. Um, whether I hit that or not is a different matter. Um, I'm 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 in the second draft stage at the moment, um, though there's there's a, a few fairly fundamental things that need to be sorted out. Um, so maybe fingers crossed, knocking on wood again. End of the year.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, okay, that that's actually pretty reasonable. Um, what length are these stories? Because YA sometimes is shorter.
1: Yeah, the, this the feather in the lamp is something like seventy five thousand words. Um, and I'm aiming it similar for the sequel.
0: Okay. Now, do you feel like this world has enough room that if the sequel sells, you could do a, I would say trequel, but that's not really a word. <laughs> turn it into a trilogy.
1: Um, I, I, I think beyond the second book, it might even become a series. Um, the, the way I'm currently thinking of the, of the ending of the second book is leaving it fairly open to uh, travel much further than, than um, a single book would, would lead. I'm kind of looking at each book in the series as being standalone-ish. Um, though it helps if you've read the ones before.
0: Okay. So episodic more than um sequential?
1: Yes, I th- I think so. Um I mean the, the characters from the earlier books uh, appear in the in the uh, sequels. Um so so you you'd kind of miss out on, on where they met if you skip the earlier books, but I th- my aim is that that's pretty much all.
0: Okay. Would you live in this world if you could?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I I, th- I think I'd miss Netflix and the like too much. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. Uh, if you could bring anything from that world into your world for your daily um, experiencing, uh, would you would you have a pet dragon? Would you take some of the magic? What would you do?
1: I'd absolutely have dragons. I'd absolutely have have these quantum dragons popping up everywhere.
0: Now, when you say quantum dragons, and you've talked about that briefly earlier, uh, are they actually going through alternate space um, or is that just a name?
1: The, the uh, hand-wavium says that um, they, they, they live in the, the higher dimensions of our universe. So, you know, string theory claims there are, I don't know, 11 dimensions, something like that. Um, they spend most of the time in those higher dimensions, which is why we don't see them. Um, and they just occasionally pop into the lower dimensions to interact with humans. Um, so that that's kind of how they get about They just pop into these higher dimensions, um, do weird probability smoothing things and pop up somewhere else.
0: Okay, there you go. Um, that is definitely interesting. Love the cover. We appreciate you coming on. And if someone wanted to know more, uh, and they wanted to stalk you. I mean, follow you on the interwebs. Uh, how would they go about doing that?
1: So I've I've got a, a Facebook page. That's pretty much my only social network presence. Um, I've got a Linktree page, which lists um, everywhere you can find me and all of the um, books I've I've appeared in. I've I've, I've got short stories in a bunch of anthologies and other places, as well as the novel, of course. Uh, so Linktree is probably the the best place to start.
0: All right. And uh, as he updates any social media links, because we do record these in advance, but as he updates any of that, uh, I will get it as accurate as possible on the day of launch. But the link tree will be the main source for everything. Um, and for him, that is Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E backslash L dot L period in period Hunter. So Linktree backslash L in Hunter with periods between uh, the initials. Um, and there you go. That'll be an easy way to find him. Speaking of finding people and stalking them online as you do, uh, you can find us on our Linktree at linktr.ee, Linktree backslash Blasters and Blades Podcast. Again, Linktree backslash Blasters and Blades Podcast. We have a bit shoot there, Rumble, Twitter, which is at sf underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. We do have an email at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we will be updating the link tree with Madam Stabby Stab's um, Facebook, or excuse me, Instagram and Twitter, which is that's where she is on both. Um, so if you want to send hate mail, she, she finds that stuff comical, but she watches horror movies for fun. So she's not right in the head. Um, and uh, with that said, you can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. Uh, facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Noticing a theme here, people? Blasters and Blades podcast. Everywhere cool people hang out. Uh, Speaking of hanging out, we have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on um, uh, or you could support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley again coffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley, where um, be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska, Madam Stabby, and Nick Garber duly caffeinated. They will drink until the brown Java gold pours out of their eyeballs. You should write that in a scene. Wait, hold on. Before we close this out, do you have coffee or tea in your world?
1: There is coffee. There is strong Kalashkin coffee. Don't think okay. there's much tea. Actually, no, there is tea. There are a bunch of herbal teas as well.
0: Okay. And different, we're adding...
1: Different favorite hot beverages.
0: Okay. Okay. So I'm supposed to be adding this to the uh, to the religion questions, but I forgot. So coffee or tea, sir?
1: Definitely coffee. Um, although I'm living in England, I can't stand tea at all.
0: Ooh, my people. All right. How do you take your coffee?
1: Black. But that's mainly laziness rather than than actual taste. Okay. If you weren't being lazy, how would you take your coffee? I think it'll depend on the bitterness of the coffee. Um, some, sometimes very milky and sweet, sometimes just bitter and black.
0: Okay. Dark like your soul. <laughs> All, right. All right. We can dig that. Uh, in the future, those will start getting inserted in the beginning. Uh, I started learning a little bit about British tea. There is a YouTube channel called Tea and Metals, and they, uh, they start off with a, a mug of tea, and they talk about how they take their tea, Uh, and then use a lot of words I don't always understand, and then they talk about whatever military story brought them there. So it's kind of cool. If you're interested in military history and you want, you know, non-American perspective, I I recommend that channel. Um, And it includes tea. And it includes tea, which is kind of weird. Um, But what are you going to do? I'm, You know, we threw it in the harbor for a reason, because coffee is better.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Actually, I think in America, coffee is definitely better because – with, with your, your lower electrical voltage, it's more difficult to make water hot enough to make decent tea, so I'm led to believe.
0: So the heat of the tea is what makes it taste better? Because you still got to let it cool down enough that it doesn't burn your mouth.
1: Yeah, but it's got to be really boiling to begin with, so I gather. I'm, I'm not a tea expert. Um, like I said, I can't stand this stuff.
0: Okay. I don't know. I, I just use a kettle on the uh, stove, boil the water, pour it in. Or if I'm being really lazy when I drink tea, I'll use my Keurig and just, you know, not put a coffee pot in there. Although sometimes that'll give the flavor of the last coffee. So sometimes your tea will have, um, but I've never had a complaint, so. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee Nick Carver and Doc Seska. I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thank you for coming, uh, Mr. Hunter. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: All right. And we're out.